Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. Happy to be back with you guys for another episode. The music that you're hearing, as always, is from my good friend Ryan Allwart. And I want to tell you guys something. This Thursday, I'm going to be live with Ryan on Facebook Live. He's going to be playing some music. I'm going to be asking him some questions, and we're just going to have a fun conversation and hopefully entertain some people. So feel free. We will be going live at 8.30 Eastern Time, 7.30 Central on Facebook Live. So make sure that you're following me on social media so you can get those links. But that'll be a very fun night. I'm looking forward to that. My guest this week is Scarlett Hiltabital. She is the author of a book called Afraid of All the Things, Tornadoes, Cancer, Adoption, and Other Stuff You Need the Gospel For. And this book was such a fun read, and it's funny to say that because the book is about fear, but it takes somewhat of a comical look at fear, which is something that we all deal with and something that we can definitely resonate as we're going through the coronavirus and the uncertainty that goes with that. So I really had a good time talking to Scarlett about her book. I really enjoyed reading this book, and she just has such a good outlook on fear. And fear is one of those things that really can take hold of you and hold you hostage in certain parts of your life. And so she talks about things that are kind of like phobias, but also things that are legitimately fearful. And she talks about the story of her adopting her daughter. And there's just so much to this book. And I really appreciated her vulnerability in this conversation. And I just think it's really timely with what we're going through. You know, the idea of fear um, is just something that I think is on our minds a lot lately. And I think that the way that we approach it, not just right now, but in general, really can dictate how much fear actually affects us. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I know I definitely did. So here is my conversation with author Scarlett Hiltabital. Well, Scarlett, thank you for coming on to the show. I'm excited to talk to you about this book. How's everything going for you uh, since this book has come out? And uh, I think right now it's like we were talking about, this is a very topical book right now. Yeah, it's weird. So, um, I'm so happy to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me, Cole. Um, yeah, I, this book came out last January, so it's been out for a little while. It's, you know, about anxiety, the struggle of my life, but it is definitely a time to talk about <laughs> this book because, you know, I feel like usually in my life it's been like, I know a lot of people have anxiety, but it's it's kind of a private thing, I, I think. You know, when I am in my seasons of super anxiety, I tend to isolate, and I feel like we're in this weird time where everyone is very clearly and has reason to be very afraid. So um, it's been good for me to get to talk about it again and to talk about it more frequently because I still, and this is what I say all the time about the book. It's not like a, hey, I've figured out fear and so can you kind of book. It's a, here's how I've learned to fight to keep my eyes on the cross, which is the only place I can find peace. Um, So it's been really good for me to be preaching the good news of the gospel and what that means for my fear to myself right now. Cause every morning I know we're all waking up with, you know, I got a call from a family member who lost his job yesterday and it's like the suffering is just, there's always suffering, but right now it's just kind of crazy. So I'm thankful to get to talk through fear more often right now. Yeah. I was going to say that this conversation is going to be mostly all about fear, which is something that I think all of us can resonate with. And I think at some point in our lives, we deal with that emotion and either whether that's anxiety or fear or a mixture of both, we go through that. And it's a, it's a human experience. And you are very vulnerable and open in this book about the different phobias and fears and anxieties that you have felt. How, 
how is it like to write all of this down? Because I know it can be hard sometimes to put all of these in writing and share it with a lot of people, but I also know that it can be cathartic. So what was the process like for you writing this book where you're kind of laying out like, here's what I've dealt with since I was a kid and here's the origin of it and here's what I'm still dealing with. And obviously the goal is that maybe somebody can resonate with it, but I guess for you putting all this on paper and putting it out into the public world, what was it like to, to write this book? Well, um, Cole, Cole and I listeners were talking earlier about the writing process and he's working on his book. Um, similar to how you described it, you know, sometimes you're right. It just comes out and feels, feels good. Um, the actual writing process I loved because I've always loved writing. It's always been like my only hobby and the only thing I've loved doing like the most. And when I was nine, I said, I want to write books for my job. That's all I want to do is my one goal. Um, and you know, I won't go too deeply into this, but when I was, um, nine, I, I wrote about my fears in a book form. My mom saved it. It's like 40 pages. I was not a Christian, but, um, and <laughs> I think you've read that cause it's in the beginning of the book, but, um, yeah, so I was writing about fear was very cathartic and not scary. The moment of the book releasing and knowing that people were reading it was very scary because yeah, it's like, you don't, it is a very personal thing the things we're afraid of, it's kind of, and I feel like one of the parts of fear is you're afraid to even say the thing you're afraid of because for, I don't know if you're like me, but people like me, like anxiety is the main thing. It's just this kind of like under the surface, uh, what's going to happen. Um, I lose my train of thought, Cole, you're going to have to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do this a lot, but I figured um, you'd be oh, ready to go. You've been doing it. so many Instagram lives this week. I figured you'd be ready to go for I just spouting out your ideas. Club. I'm always ready to go, but I always lose my train of thought at least once. Okay. Um, at least once, but yeah, the having other people read it was scary before I got reactions. And once I got reactions, there were so many people sharing their fears and saying me too. And that was so comforting because, you know, we, I think we all have this thing in us where we think, okay, well, nobody is really struggling as much as I'm struggling. Like when you're really deep in it. So that's been a really sweet thing. And of course, like you said, like I, I want it to serve people and I want it to ultimately, well, one, I wanted it to be like, here's the thing with it. So like the tone of it is humorous. Um, and I hadn't read a book about fear that was humorous. And the thing with me is when I get afraid and I'm not doing what I need to do to find the ultimate peace in the Lord, I either like escapism, like try to escape and read something funny, watch something funny. I just want to like forget about truth and scary things. Um, or of course I'm like pressing in to the truth and the Lord and seeking my comfort in him. And he's the only place you can find the lasting true peace and comfort. But I just, I wanted it to be, um, kind of both like, like stories that were funny, that could be kind of an escape, but also that would ultimately point people back to the cross, which, you know, there's all these different things you can do to help ease anxiety. And I write about too, like this Tim Keller sermon, where he talks about different reasons you might be experiencing, um, you know, suffering in your spirit. But um, yeah, I just want to want it to point people to God's word. So yeah, I think the, the thing about fear, and this is ultimately what I wrote about, and I've only shared this with a, hand, a handful of people, because I want it to be somewhat proprietary whenever I do hopefully send it off to a publisher or an agent. But the thing that I, I mean, the idea of fear being a liar is kind of this thing that I think we're all familiar with. And for me, I was believing so many different things that just were not true. Like they just were mm -hmm. not true. And my story, it was predicated on the, the tragic death of one of my spiritual mentors. And oh. that took me down a, a large, a long path of 
you know, questioning God and having that doubt in who God really was. And that resulted in fear. And it was this massive fear of death and this fear of like, why should I go through life? Like if, if I'm just going to die eventually, like that was the thought that I had. It was like, why, like I was about to propose to my wife and I was like, why should I even get married if we're just going to die eventually? Like hmm. that's where my mind was at. And hmm. that transitioned into, you know, whenever I wanted to share the story, like fear was telling me, no, like you're not a good enough writer. You're not a biblical scholar. You can't <laughs> do this. Like you, and it was like all of these things that I was allowing myself to believe. And I had to really, really spend time with God to get that out of my brain because it's so easy for us to believe these lies that we're being told. And I've been so fortunate to have a number of different guests on the show that have talked about different lies that we believe. And I got to have Daniel M on this show, whose book is all about different lies that we believe. And it was great to hear him say like, you know, we are like, this is why we're prone to believe X, Y, and Z because, you know, this happens and this happens. And it was just like breaking all that down. And you realize like, man, we are really prone. If we're not strong in our faith and spending time with the Lord, we're very, very vulnerable to allowing ourselves to believe this stuff. So you mentioned this just now, but like, I kind of want to revisit it. Like how important is it for people that might be listening that are dealing with fear? Like the antidote, at least for me, and I think for you too, has always just been spending time in prayer, spending time with the Lord and like really, really meditating on what he's saying. So I Mm -hmm. guess that process, what was that process like for you to walk through those fears to arrive where you're like, you know what, the only way to get through this is to be with God. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll tell you the truth. So all those things you just said, I would say, yes, those are the most comforting things. But those very things were kind of the things that kept me from a joyful and peaceful walk with Jesus when I did not understand how the gospel was for every day. So you're talking about your struggle and the why even be alive if we're just going to die. And I, I had a not the same struggle, but like a similar mentality in that I thought Christianity was about the afterlife. And so it was like, I think I just better do a really good job and be as perfect as I can until I get to heaven, which is through the grace of Christ. (laughs) So it was like, I had this kind of warped view of like, I need Jesus to save me ultimately. But as for like the day to day, I'm miserable because I'm just striving and striving and failing and failing or striving and feeling like I'm winning and then glorifying myself, you know, like just self. It was all about like self and my own performance. Um, And so for me, what kind of helped me get to that place that you're saying, and you're right, like, you know, I'll say this too, like I have, I've been on medication for um, anxiety and that helped. And I'm not one of these like prayer and prayer alone. And I say this in the book too. I don't, I, I believe there are all different sources of anxiety and we're all kind of a complicated mix. This I'm echoing Tim Keller here. Um, and his, his sermon is called the wounded spirit. It was not, he didn't use the word anxiety, but he was just talking about all the contributing factors. Um, it's a great sermon. You can listen to it on the podcast app. But um, yeah, I think that it's really helpful to kind of try to look at where your anxiety and fear is coming from and deal with it on multiple levels. But the spiritual level, which is, I think, the most significant for people who are believers, and especially believers like past me, is like I had all these fears about practical things that I could see in front of me in this world, like coronavirus, like the me of 10 years ago would have been paralyzed with fear. And like every decision I'd make from the moment I opened my eyes would be, how am I going to protect my family from the coronavirus? How am I not going to get it? How am I going to avoid the, when the mailman drops off the package at my 
that is kind of how I functioned in the past. And I still fight fear, but I'm not like a slave in that way how I used to be. And it's because of this testimony, which inspired the whole book, which was um, I, I was in a room with a group of women and there was this woman, it was parenting advice. They were all giving good advice. And this woman kind of unpacked the gospel and what her home looked like and how she lived the gospel in her day to day in a way that changed me. And she just kind of said, you know, I'm not striving to be the perfect mom and the perfect wife, the perfect friend. I um, recognize that I'm not. So my goal in life is to point people to Jesus and like show them my weaknesses and be vulnerable with that and um, use my failures as an opportunity to point them to Christ, which is where we find our ultimate rest for today and right now. So she was like, you know, let's say I fail my kids or I fight with my husband in front of my kids. I don't, I not only apologize to them and point out, Hey, mommy just sinned, but I also pray a prayer of repentance and show them, here's what I do when I fail. I bring my sin to the Lord. I turn from it and I accept that his death and resurrection, uh, it's death on the cross and resurrection restored me to have this access to God because he's holy and I'm not. And she just kind of taught me how to view my life in that way. And I was, I was like, that was the piece I was missing. So my ability to find rest in spending time with the Lord has come from seeing the Lord as like my friend right now, not just this ticket to, um, to avoid hell, you know? And so that was like the huge thing for me. So now in my life, when I'm up at 3am Googling coronavirus, I'm like, <laughs> I, I have learned to like train my mind to do the, the better thing, which is okay, Scarlett, stop Googling <laughs> these things, which I still do. I'm not, I mean, I'm not like there, I'm telling you, I'm not there, but, um, I, I don't live with that. I know that to live with a mindset of waking up and saying, I'm so loved by Jesus. Um, how can I love others in this way? What a way, what a different way to live. And that's how to live a peaceful, joyful life. Um, it's going to be hard. And Jesus says, we're going to suffer in this world. You love trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So yes, ultimately those are, that's where I find my peace. But it took me realizing, oh, the gospel is transformative not just for the drug addict who has a radical conversion and then he's going to go to heaven now, but like we can have joy and peace today, not just someday. So, yeah. Man, you're preaching today. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, that, that verse that you mentioned, the John 16, I think that's what it is. The one that take heart, uh, I have overcome the world. So our pastor is doing a, um, every Tuesday before coronavirus, we were doing a large group Bible study where we were basically, it felt like a seminary class. Hmm. And they're doing it now just through digital means, but he'll be at the church and live stream it and breaking down over four weeks that very verse. Like he's breaking hmm. down like Greek language of it, like all oh, this I love that. But yeah, that verse it, it just it, it resonates and I think it's very, very pertinent for the scenario that we find our world in right now. And obviously whenever you wrote this book, you had no idea that we would be going through a global pandemic, but I think that this book serves as a very topical discussion for the world that we live in because there's a lot of people that are fearful either of getting the virus of passing it on to somebody or of dying or maybe they're i mean they've lost their job and they're fearful of what the uh repercussions of that are and there's just a lot of fear that's happening right now and i think it's a very very difficult time for people that don't have a faith in in god um I know that you mentioned this whenever you did one of your book clubs the other day. You, you were like, somebody suggested that I should add in the coronavirus to the title of your book. Is afraid of all the things, tornadoes, cancer, adoption, and other stuff you need the gospel for. And you were like, we should add coronavirus to this. Um, yes. What, what, have been the, what has been the discussions that you've had with people 
you know, in, con- in this, with this book as the context to what's going on, I mean, have people come to you and brought up their fears with what's going on? And, and have you been able to kind of use this book as a context for that discussion? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like I told you, when this book came out, it's like, and, and also I've been like traveling around speaking about it before traveling was canceled. <laughs> um, but one of the, my favorite things that has come of this book that I couldn't have anticipated has been people sharing their own struggles with me and also sharing what they do. And, you know, I learn from people all the time. I was talking to someone yesterday about fear and anxiety and like the difference between the two and, um, you know, how fear of the Lord is wisdom. Like we should, fear fear is a good thing in that way, but it's also good. Like if you're getting chased by a bear, I think I said this on the book club too, um, then you have adrenaline to run away, you know, but, um, um, yeah, but when we fear the wrong things, when we, when we, take our eyes off the cross and look at what is out in front of us, whether that's opening our phones to see the new death stats of the coronavirus, or like, if we just say, you know what, I'm not watching the news anymore. I'm just going to quarantine and live my life. Our own bodies will remind us that, (laughs) you know, like, it's just, we can't, um, we can't run away. We can't insulate ourselves from the trouble of this world. So yeah, I've had a lot of good talks with people and, um, I've gotten to, and I've learned, uh, yeah, I've just learned so much from people. I don't know. that That's what's coming to mind right now. <laughs> and I, I love in this book, you talk a lot about, obviously, you, you've adopted a child from China. And this is something that my wife and I have talked about. Like, eventually down the road, we, I think we would like to be in a position to where we can adopt. I think that's, like you mentioned in here, I mean, it, it, I've always felt it's one of the most Christ-like things that we could do as human beings. And I mean, this pro- I, I was brokenhearted last night, you know, whenever you're talking, like I, I was finishing the book before we, before we recorded and I was reading the, the, I think it's in the last chapter where you talk about how like she, you know, her, her head is mis, mis- misshaped because she wasn't taken care of and all kinds of things. And like, it just, it's, it breaks my heart to hear about, you know, a situation like that, but then to hear like this girl now has a beautiful home and, and has beautiful family and, you obviously talk about the rigors of that process um, and the fear that you had going through that process. How, how did your faith guide you through that process of knowing that it was the right time to adopt and knowing that this is the right child to adopt whenever there were so many things that could have told you, like, this is not a good situation. And your fear was telling you, like, this is not the right situation for you. But you went through it and you, and you cupped your faith through it and, and your faith guided you through that process of adopting your daughter from China. Um, you know, how, how was that process in terms of trusting the Lord and what did you maybe learn about God through that process? Yeah. Um, well, this is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's one of these things where I'm so, I feel so outside of it. Like, like, you know, it's one of those things where if I wanted to take any credit for it, there's no way I could take any credit for it. It was so God the whole way. Um, and I also, before I dive into the story of it, um, you know, it's hard to talk. It's my favorite thing to talk about, but it's also very hard to talk about because the suffering of her life before we met her from what we know is so intense and so much more than I share because it's her story. I don't want to like, you know, there's that whole boundary that I try to keep, but then there's also like, yes, we, we are here. We've been a family for over three years with her. Um, and it's amazing. And it's the, the, one of the greatest decisions we've ever made. It's also really, really, different kind of parenting because I have two biological kids and there's a lot of hard emotional stuff that goes into it 
that once again, it's like a delicate thing to talk about when I'm talking into a microphone. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like one-on-one coffee date with someone who's considering adoption, um, one of the things I was most thankful for was when I was entering into the process, I had people saying, okay, here's, you know, here's the Instagram posts of the miracles. Here are the, the true emotional struggles that it comes with that you can't really anticipate and you might hear about them. And I wrote a little bit about the pride I had going into it thinking, oh, the emotional bonding, that's going to be easy because I'm just going to love her and it's going to, it's going to be fine. But, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's birthed out of brokenness and it's a really hard thing. It's still a hard thing, but what a blessing. Um, but anyway, as far as like how my faith guided me, I think that's how you worded it. Um, I was, one of the reasons I can't boast about it is I, I'm like the least likely candidate to walk into something like this, because like I said, I ha- I just, I fight still living with like a safety, cautious, insulate myself mentality. And so I know it's usually reversed. It's usually like the wife who's per- pushing the husband and wants to adopt, but it was opposite for us. And my husband had loved the idea of it since he was 18 before I met him. He had heard um, a testimony of someone and he had just become like a serious believer. And so um, he loved, like you said, the way that it mirrors the gospel. I mean, there's, we're adopted sons and daughters of, the, of God and we have that inheritance and we have a, a dad now. I mean, there's, it's just the perfect picture of it. So he wanted to do it. And I was like, it's not for everyone, you know, plus like all the, the barriers, like we did not have the money to do it. It's very expensive. Yeah. Um, and it was one of these things where <clears throat> I know for some people, it's like a prayerful decision for us. It was more of like, God just dropped this desire into the most unwilling person. And I'm pointing to myself. Um, <laughs> and it was so sudden. And I was like, it, it basically happened. I was, a, uh, I have a cousin, I'm looking at their picture right now on the wall. Um, I have a cousin who had two biological girls adopted two girls from China with special needs. And she had just posted something on Facebook, pictures of the orphanage um, where her daughter with one arm came from. And it just kind of stuck with me, but I hadn't even said anything about it. And then my five-year-old at the time has a, a friend who was adopted. And so we were kind of just talking about adoption and it was like, so overwhelming, the desire God gave me. I was just, you know, a mess in tears. Called my husband. He was immediately a mess in tears. And it was just one of these like, okay, yeah, we're doing, and it was like, it's going to be special needs. It's going to be a girl. It's going to be China. We didn't research countries. We didn't know if we were qualified. It was just like very, very supernatural. And my fears of like all the fears that I naturally come with just were gone. And this coincided with me being in a small group, being a community, um, with people who this is at the end of the book where I talk about this family that speaks in Bible verses, like not people who were putting pressure on me to serve God in some dramatic way, but people who were just, who loved God's word. And so I know that all these contributing factors were getting my heart into a spot that was ready to like, say not no to the Lord, you know, but it was clearly like him. And he led us to the special need of deafness, which is, you know, our daughter, she can't talk. She can hear now with the hearing aid, but she could, she'd never heard anything for her first four years until we adopted her. Um, and he led us down that path. We called adoption agencies. We Googled adoption agencies, um, asked around. We were like, hey, we don't have the money to do this. And they're like, well, there are things you can do. And it was one of these things where, like, when we were just dipping our toe into the water, like, a check came, unexpected, thousands of dollars. It was just like every time we needed a chunk for the adoption fee or whatever fee for whatever paper, it would just come. And, it, you know, you hear stories like that when you're listening to sermons or testimonies. But I mean, I lived it. So it was like, how can you be that afraid when it's so clear <laughs> that God is pushing this thing forward? And then, yeah, meeting her. So so I was kind of floating on that. The whole process it was 11 months. We learned sign language. 
And then we met her and she was medically so much, um, like you said, with the head thing, she was medically in like the worst shape we could imagine. So there was like a grieving process to that because we thought, will she ever learn sign language? Will we ever communicate with her? Will she ever be out of diapers? Will she ever walk? Like it was all these extra things we didn't really, we, we knew could happen, but hoped, you know, wouldn't. Um, and then the process of bonding with her and, you know, her being resistant because she had never known love. And so, you know, there were all these, there was like a process and all these different phases of being in survival mode and just, you know, I say, I feel like a witness to it because it was like, I was just so desperate for the Lord to carry us through it. And it was so from him. And there's so much blessing just getting to see this miracle in your house every day. And like the, the, uh, what's the ripple effect of like walking through the grocery store with this little girl who looks too small physically to be able to communicate the way she is. So people are confused and they'd be like, how old is she? Wait, what, why is she so small? And all these questions lead to Jesus because it's like, how can I tell the story without being like, I would have never done something like this. She's such a blessing and she's so sweet and happy. And, and, you know, the end of the story is she is thriving and she's happy and she's fluent in sign language and she's just a huge blessing. And the ways, the things that are hard about it are, are blessings too, because it, it reminds us how much we need the Lord. So yeah, that's, that's the joy story. <laughs> I, I love stories like that, especially like you said, you hear stuff like that in sermons where it's like, we really needed this money and all of a sudden the money came and you know, it's, it's one thing for it to happen to somebody else, but like you're saying, like it happened to you and you lived it. Yeah. And, um, like there's nobody can tell you that that experience <laughs> didn't happen. You know, right. like nobody can take that away from you. And that's your experience with the Lord. And that's one thing, um, that I've really clinged to that idea. Our, our pastor here has preached that before where he said, you know, if somebody wants to get into an argument with me, like I can't prove like the existence. I mean, I, I, in a way you can prove the existence of God because of what's in the Bible. But he said, but nobody can argue my experience. Right. And, and, and that's, I think what you're saying as well is like, if somebody wants to argue the existence of God, that's fine. But nobody can tell you that you didn't have that experience with God where he said, Hey, we believe you're the parents to, to raise this child and to yes. adopt this child. And uh, one of the, this, I, I highlight a ton of stuff whenever I read books. And uh, one of the, one of the, the, Passages that I highlighted here this is toward the end of the book, but you said, when I bring my fears and my weakness and my helplessness and my orphan-like tendencies to God's word, I remember my, I remember the full truth, full truth. I am not enough. I am way too weak to love the people in my life sacrificially. I am way too weak even to be lovable myself, but God's power is made perfect in weakness. And I think that's such a great testament and great idea to like just bring all of our fears to God. And I'm sure that this is not something that you have completely perfected by any means. And I don't think we ever will as humans, but, um, you know, whenever you think back to maybe your life before Christ, I mean, how, di how different does it look to approach the fears that you're feeling? And it's not even just like the phobias you talk about as a kid, like whenever we become adults, we have real fears about real things like fear that I maybe can't make a, a, a bill payment or something like that. So how have you approached your fears differently in the context of your faith in God, which, I mean, ultimately that's what the book is about, but I yeah. guess kind of in your words, I mean, how has that looked differently as your life has gone on? That's such a good question. I don't think I've been asked in that way before. Um, yeah, well, I feel like my testimony is kind of complicated because I, I really do think I became a Christian when I was 14 and I write about that too. I saw this play in this church and it touched me and I was like, Jesus can save the murderers. Cause that's what the play was about. Um, wow, he can save me. 
And I, I had this passion to learn more about him. And I underlined every proverb because in Proverbs because I thought, oh, this is practical telling me how to live. <laughs> but that just goes to show you, like, I think that if I had died that day, I think I think I had this saving faith. Like, I believe Jesus is real and I believe that I need him and that I'm weak. But um, but I think that my miserableness, not a word, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my my tendency to feel that intense panic and that striving, like, I don't think I've gotten this right yet. Um, um, I think, yeah, I think I, I just, I think I lived like a non-believer for so many years of my faith. So pre-Jesus, pre-being 14 and seeing his goodness, I was learning the Bible. I was in Christian school. I was in Baptist churches. So I don't remember a time before I wasn't hearing the good news, but um, hearing the good news, the way that I took it was, okay, these are the rules and I've got to do it right. And that the thing that I've come to realize is that's the opposite of Christianity. Like Christianity is Jesus did all the rules right in our place and we can put our faith in him. But I was like memorizing the verses and trying to get the sword drill and like, okay, so I'm going to be the best, most perfect Christian that there's ever been totally missing the point. So I think pre salvation, I would look at fears. It would just be very earthly. Like I didn't have the ability to look at things from an eternal perspective because I was so like myopic trapped in my own fear, my own pain, my own, what is this next second going to hold for my life? Um, and then coming to know the Lord, I was able to like, okay, there's a heaven and hell and I'm, I'm not the center of the universe. But then that meeting I had with Elizabeth, I talked about earlier. That's when I really realized to realize that I could um, zoom out, you know, and put my eyes, um, Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And if I could just like distill the whole message of it down to one thing, like that is the key, you know, just knowing like, it's not about me. It's about eternity and God, the existing one who was before anything else was like, how do we view God? Do we really believe he's real? Do we really believe he's good? And that he loves us. If we do like the things that are so scary, grow strangely dim and they really do. And you can't help it if you, so it is, it can be like a matter of unbeat belief. We were talking about Barnabas's book or before, I think, I think before you turn the microphone on, um, I love Barnabas's book, help my unbelief. And that's been a major part of my struggle has been me having to ask myself like if, and you know, and that, that contributed to my, my spiritual anxiety. Cause I was like, as a believer, I was like, well, if I really was a Christian, yeah. wouldn't I not be afraid? And I think that's a lie. I think we're humans and we're weak. And so we're always going to struggle in one way or another, but it's all about who do we trust and where are we going to keep putting our focus? You know, I think when I really grappled the idea, or I should say grasped the idea that even Jesus feared, Jesus, yeah. asked, Jesus asked why, right? And, and Jesus suffered. And whenever I think about those things, I'm like, there's no reason why I wouldn't also experience all of those emotions. And mm -hmm. Ultimately, I mean, the reason why I think Barnabas's book and, and other books that are along that same topic, I got to I got to talk to Robin Dance a couple months ago, and her book that just came out was kind of on the same topic as well. But when you go through a period of unbelief or a period of anxiety, and you're asking those questions, ultimately, and this is what we just had a sermon at our church about this as well, you're either going to fade away from God or you're going to go toward God. And for me, you know, those questions brought me closer to God. And it actually gave me a deeper understanding of God. And what we just did a whole sermon series at church about Hebrews and it was all about faith. And it was basically like, I talked to my pastor this week. I said, that was the absolute perfect 
sermon series for the book that I'm writing. And it was basically like, if you, if you believe that God is greater than everything, then he is bigger. I think the way he put it was God is not, God is not greater than anything. He's greater than everything. And when you believe that he's greater than everything, then he's always going to be greater than your anythings. And I think it's mm-hmm. a great way to put it because you're wow. like, you're no matter what's happening. If you, if you believe that God is greater then you don't need to understand why. And I think like you have, a, this is, this is truly one of my favorite parts of the book and it's just two sentences, but it says, I can't understand it, but I'm so thankful for it. <laughs> and if I had to summarize like the, like the, basically where I'm going to land the plane with my book, it's that right there. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand why the world works the way that it works. I don't understand why God operates the way that he operates and why things happen. And honestly, like that's the beautiful mystery of who God is, at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. And like, I've always said this, that if you get to a point where you feel like you've understood everything about God, then he's probably a pretty small God or (laughs) he's no longer a God to you, you know, like, and Mm -hmm. so I I think that there's beauty in the the mystery and yeah, there's heartache, there's things we don't understand and there's going to be confusion. And honestly, like, it's okay to go to God. Like you were talking about in your book about how you went to God, you were angry, like Mm -hmm. full on angry. And yeah, as, as Christians, I think we can feel guilty about that. Like, well, I shouldn't feel that way if I'm a Christian. I should be able to understand everything. It's like, no. Like, and I think Barnabas puts it in his book perfectly. We are finite beings trying to understand an infinite God. And that's yeah. impossible. Yeah. And that's impossible. We just can't do it. And I think the, the, the sooner that Christians and just anybody in general understands that truth, mm-hmm. the better. I mean, it, it, for me, it's been so freeing to understand that because, like, I'm, I was a journalist by, by trade. That's what I went to school for. And so my mm-hmm. nature is to find out the answers and to find out why something happened. And so when my friend died, he was killed by a drunk driver by <sighs> with his daughter was in the car and his and his mother was in the car and they were just it was a fluky thing. They had hit a deer, they pulled off to the side of the road, they were waiting on a tow truck and this 20-year-old kid was coming back down the interstate. He had been partying at a college football game and just ran into the back of their car and killed three of the four people in the car. And, uh, like it was just a huge tragedy for our community. Cause it was like, he was the worship leader at our church and his daughter was in the, the band at one of the local high schools and was a phenomenal singer. And it was a big, huge deal. Like it was a mm. massive tragedy. And so that for me, it was the first time that I dealt with the tragedy and I didn't understand why certain things happened. And so I wanted to yeah. know why God would allow this Christ centered man and his daughter and his mother to all be killed by somebody who was drinking and driving. Why this, why that? And mm. like, I was looking for answers that I was never going to find. Right. And like, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but one of the the things that we just learned in our church, I keep referencing our, my church sermons because I really uh, adore, I shouldn't say adore. I have a lot of respect for our pastor here. And he's just one of the best biblical teachers that I know. And he basically preached, like people, people like to say the phrase, you just need to have more faith. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, while like you get what they're trying to say, it's really not a productive thing because it's like, where do I go to get more faith? It'd be like telling a shark to go find more water. It's like, where do you go right. to find more water? And he said, do you need more faith or do you need more facts? And I was like, when I was going through my, my struggles, like I needed more facts. I needed to understand mm. like who God was, what his character was. And I think for me with, at least with my fears, like understanding God's character better has mm. really given me a lot of freedom with my fears. And I know I went off kind of on a tangent there, but I don't know. I mean, have you had sort of a similar experience where like you just like kind of had to, I mean, I think you wrote it here, but like you had to kind of just accept that like 
I don't understand why this stuff happens. I mean, how, I guess for you, how freeing was that? Yeah, um, definitely. I feel like as human beings, we all get to that place. And especially those of us who are believers who come, you know, like before I experienced tragedy, like that story you just shared, I, any kind of bad thing that happened, I could kind of trace it back to like, oh, well, I failed or this person failed. You know what I mean? Like there was a reason like, okay, this thing went bad because of this, it all kind of made sense in my universe. But, um, I think for me, and you, you mentioned it when I described being angry with God, it was, you know, I had been, I had been in college, I had had horrible eating disorders and I'd been a slave to them and God had freed me of that. And that's one of those things where I was like, oh, I'm a sinner. And I was desperate and I couldn't get myself unstuck. And Jesus rescued me out of this. So I was kind of on fire. I was kind of like a new believer in that season. Like I was like evangelism kick, like high person in the laundromat. Can I tell you what Jesus did in my life? You know, (laughs) it was a beautiful time. I mean, I was like on fire and, um, and so it made it all the more difficult when I experienced a tragedy like that, where it's like, God, how and why would you let this happen? And for me, it was um, my first of two miscarriages I've had. And it was like, it wasn't just miscarriage. It was like an organ ruptured and I almost died. And they had to, I'm so sorry if you heard that. I forgot to turn my texts off. Oh, you're um, fine. My, um, I had prayed for a baby for the first time and I, I didn't grow up like one of these maternal, I'm not naturally domestic I was like I'm not gonna have kids probably and then I just I had this desire are you hearing those texts I'm so sorry no it's fine that? okay um you're just I, like, popular everybody wants to talk to you this morning <laughs> no you know what it is it's the family group text is what's happening let me I, I, I have I, muted I have muted all of my family group texts because there's just there's, there's too many texts that come through on those they just keep coming hold on I'm gonna mute them so that I'm so sorry I'm so sorry okay right. they are now muted and I'm now returning Oh, sorry. So sorry. Now, how do I get back to you? Here we go. Come back here and come back here. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Here we go. <laughs> um, so, so I, you know, I had just, I was on this spiritual high almost. And then the miscarriage was um, blood transfusions, almost died. It was just this, like, all these tragedies rolled into one because I had prayed for a baby for the first time as the, ah, I don't really want kids, but you know what I could. So I had like specifically prayed about the timing and I had that kind of um, rapport with God at that time in my walk where it was like, I talked to him all the time. I was like deeply studying his word all the time, not because I was trying to earn anything, but because I like hungered for his word. It was just one of those sweet seasons. So that made it all the more difficult for me when I'm like one God, like, why did you take the baby? Like I had been like shouting from the rooftops, like, look at this thing God's done because you know, uh, I don't know. Anyway. So there was that aspect. And then there was the near death experience, which it was just kind of left me stunned. And like, how did this happen? Um, and because I think my works were still so tied into my faith and I didn't know it. Um, I I was frustrated with myself and I, I do write about this in the book, but I remember lying on the operating table and it was one of these, like they're running with the gurney because I'm bleeding internally. And so I like, am aware of what's happening, but I'm also like going into shock. So my teeth were chattering and I was like really cold, like in those war movies when people are, you know, it was like so traumatic, but like I was still mentally with it. And so they're rushing and there's all these people and the bright lights. And I have this tattoo of a Bible verse on my wrist and the anesthesiologist is like, what's that? So I say the Bible verse and then I knew like, okay, they're, they're like count backwards from 10. And so I knew I might never be alive again in this moment. 
And what my brain came up with was if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, which one is a weird last thought to have. But two, it was like as soon as I woke up to the blood transfusion and realized I hadn't died, I was so crushed that like that revealed like what what an immaturity I had. And like I, I was so like, I'm such a Christian. I'm evangelizing. I've been saved from these things. And it was I was so like puffed up in that way. Um, and but the one thing that I could have had, which is assurance of my faith, which is like the gift of being a Christian, I didn't have it like I was dying and thought, am I going to see Jesus when I die? So I had this kind of anger. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent. You weren't getting off on a tangent. I'm getting <laughs> off on a tangent. But um, what you asked me if I'd had a similar experience to what was the original question? <laughs> Just basically like accepting the fact that we don't understand why yes, things happen. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So um, waking up from that and like, I was afraid I was at a point in my faith and I write here, like be angry with God because read the Psalms and like, God doesn't want you to go dark on him. Like he wants an open communication. He knows, like you said, he knows what it's like to suffer, but I was like afraid to be mad at him because I thought, I know he's God. I believe in him, but I cannot understand this. So I just kind of went dark and, and I closed my Bible when I got home from the hospital. I was like, I don't know what to say to you, God. And then I didn't speak to him for months and it was super dark, horrible time. And there were all these things that ended up happening and it wasn't like a clean cut. Like I never got an answer to why everything happened the way it did. But I'm so thankful spiritually for what came of it, because slowly through people, you know, other believers loving me went in, a, in ways that weren't like giving me cliche statements, but that were like crying. I write about my mother-in-law seeing me crying like angry tears that were like the wrong kind of angry and her crying the right kind of angry tears. And I was like, I don't know why this happened or something. And she was like, I don't either. And that was one of the most powerful. She like wept with me and was angry with me and just loved me. And she could have pointed me to a bunch of verses, but in that moment, I just needed that tangible, like someone is with me in this pain. And so stuff like that, um, that is when I went on medicine. That is when I started counseling and I saw a Christian psychiatrist. And I mean, I was just a mess. Um, But God used all of these events to bring me to a place ultimately of being like, oh, I have, I have assurance of my faith. And like, I wouldn't trade that. It was a horrible experience. I wouldn't want to relive it. But I don't know if I could have gotten to the place spiritually where I'm able to rest if I hadn't um, grappled with like being able to, like you said, just accept that it's a mystery. We are finite beings. I loved that quote. I think I've quoted that quote from Marvis's book in an article because it stuck with me so much. But um, yeah, we cannot understand God's ultimate plan and to just trust him and be like horrible things are happening. And, and I'm, but I believe that God is good and I'm going to trust him. Yeah. Well, one of the other quotes of yours that I really like, and so I actually, when when I read this, I went into my chapter on fear, and I was like, I, I want to quote this in my chapter. So, I'm the, so honored. <laughs> you, you say, what have we to fear? Jesus has already been broken for us, and when he rose, he broke brokenness. Our fears cannot defeat us because everything we fear has only empty threats in light of the cross. Organs explode, bodies weaken, pain comes. So what? Jesus won. So even when our flesh fails us fully, we'll be fine. Because guess what? If we should die before we wake, we know our souls the Lord will take. And I know that you kind of mentioned that part um, just a minute ago, but I just like Jesus has already won. Jesus has already defeated our fears. And I think when you like this, when you can finally rest in that truth, 
like it's not that you're never going to fear again, but you don't have to fear fear. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's where I have arrived at. And there's still things that I'm scared of. Like it's taken me a year and a half to finish this book proposal because part of me is fearful of sending it off to agents and getting a bunch of no's and not even getting, <laughs> you know, it's so like part of like they'll keep keeping delaying it. It keeps the, the idea alive that I'm still working on this book and it's not going to even know. So it's like, I feel the fear <laughs> in that. I feel fear in a lot of ways. And like, I, I still feel it, but like at the same time, I can rest in the assurance that like, whatever does happen, God, like God has ordained, God has ordained it. God is greater than that. And if, if I never get a book published, like, okay, like I'll be fine. But like, I, God's still going to use me in, in some way. And like, I, I happen to feel like he is calling me to write a book because I'm definitely more of a writer than a talker. As you can tell, I, I ramble on and on and on in this podcast, but no, I uh, disagree. I think you're both. <laughs> Well, thank you. But I, writing has definitely always been more comforting to me. And yeah. whenever that experience happened, I just, for like a year, I felt this pull to write this book. And like, part of me, I was like, this isn't my story. I didn't live it. Like, I'm not his family. But I'm also like, you know what? Like, I have my own story that maybe somebody can deal, you know, can, can, can wrestle with it and they can get something out of it. And so my wife was really big. Like, you don't have to be a, a biblical scholar. Like, you don't have to be the world's greatest Bible teacher, like you just have to share your story. And so like, I've dealt with fear in that fashion. I've dealt with deer. Like I, I changed careers. I went from journalism to teaching and I went through a lot of fear in that because I had to go back to school and get another degree, um, which is only like a year long process. But like I had to go and spend all this money and take all these tests. Yeah. And then my first day of teaching, I will never forget. I didn't even, I didn't even do student teaching. I got hired before I was even done with my program. And so my first day hmm. of teaching, I walked into the classroom and I was like, well, guys, this is my first day of teaching. I have no idea what to do. So that was, you know, God, God, you know, delivered that fear from me. And I had three great years of teaching. I'm only not teaching now because we moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky for my wife to pursue her career. And I just kind of was like, you know what? I, I really want to put my focus on like finishing this book and mm -hmm. doing other things. So I have a different kind of job that allows me to do that. But like fear has told me like, this isn't going to work out. You're not going to do this. And like, we were super fearful of leaving our comfort zone, at least for me, because I'm from Indiana, which is where we moved from. And we moved here to my wife's hometown. And I was super fearful of leaving an establishment that I had. I had my family there. I had friends. Yeah. And it's still an adjustment. But, like, we're just trying to trust that, like, you know, God has a plan for all that. And, again, going off on a tangent, but, like, fear can really take hold in different parts of your life. And I think the sooner that you can, can wrestle with the idea or grasp the idea that, like, Jesus has already won. He's already defeated that fear. And you don't really have anything to be afraid of. In the, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Amen. <laughs> so again, tangents all over the place. But, no. <laughs> um, moving on to a lighter part of it. I know we talked about this before we recorded, but I absolutely just love the cover of this book. And Aww. it is one of my favorites. And if people are listening and they haven't bought this book yet, I mean, it's the, the cover itself is great, but I also like the fact that it's like a canvas cover. I don't see many books like that. So yeah, I love that too. So walk me through... The, the, you were kind of telling me this before we recorded, but walk me through the process of you're the author and you do get a, a say in what the cover looks like. And cause it is the identity of your book and you want it to kind of reflect who you are. So what is that process like as the author to get to sit down and, and work with the artist and coming up with the cover of it? It's such a fun process. I actually, I'm working on a new book now. It doesn't come out for a while though, but so I won't talk about it yet, but I start off the book talking about that process because it was such a fun process. 
but yeah, I'm not artistic at all. But um, now I, I'll, again, I don't know how, not again, I haven't said this yet. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how it works for everyone, but at least at my publisher, they, um, there was a designer. I didn't work with her directly. She's amazing. But basically um, they asked me like, what are your, you know, the book was written. I had turned in the manuscript and they're like, if you have ideas of what you'd like the cover to look like, you want to sketch something, send it to us and we'll give it to the designer to get an idea of what you want and send three to five book covers that you like. So she can get an idea of like the vibe thing, you know? So um, me and my then, I guess, seven-year-old, you know, drew some things up and I thought I had an idea. And of course, so, so, we sent him to her, to the person who sent him to her. And then she sent back like five beautiful, fully designed options. Some of them based on my ideas and some of them that were just her, her ideas were way better than my ideas, yeah. <laughs> but she like definitely captured like the, the kind of thing I wanted, but there was a lot of back and forth. Cause you know, we kind of like were torn between two and one of them had like a giant tornado on it. And one of them had like a syringe and fangs. And I was like, Oh, fangs are funny. <laughs> and I want it to be kind of funny. And then there was like the colors and we, it was going to be a white background, but then my publisher was like, well, we have another book coming out in the same cycle that's white, so it can't be white. So it's kind of a collaboration of all of us. And then like when we were down to like, okay, it's for sure this, I didn't like, I'm showing you on the video, these blue splotches were pink and I'm like not a pink person as much as, you know, and so I was like, I'm so sorry, just one more email. <laughs> Can the splotches please be like this color blue? So it was like, it was so fun. And I love how it came out. And then I had another, I had a book come out for teen girls. And it was the same artist. And so she kind of used that same kind of um, style for that one. And I just, she, I think she's amazing. Kayla, I think her name is Kayla Stark. I don't know if it's in this one because I think that the designer at my publisher also played around with it. But yeah, that was, that's the cover story. <laughs> I love that you have some old pictures of yourself in here too. There was one, I can't find it now, but yeah, I love that you... Have some old pictures in here. And then also, is this your handwriting that's in the inside cover? Yes. <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. That was a last minute thing. Like I thought like it was probably a month before I got the first copy and the publisher said, hey, can you just like handwrite a bunch of your fears, you know, for to go on the end sheets? And um, I said, I have really bad handwriting, but okay. <laughs> so that was fun. So I just in a Sharpie, I did like three versions and sent them. I'm just like I'm such a nerd with this stuff because I was Me a yearbook. <laughs> I, well, I was a yearbook teacher for three years, and so I I really enjoyed the process of designing the cover of our yearbooks and working with artists for that. And one year, um, this yearbook actually won quite a few awards, and I was really happy for it. We got to do um, at the high school that I was at. It's like a huge tradition rich high school, so we did a whole theme on the traditions, and we had like the school is called Rites R E I T Z, and so we had a big cutout R in the cover. And then whenever you flipped it open, it would be like you could see um, there's a big, huge R on the side of the hill of the school. So there was like a play on that. And then inside of that was this big, huge word cloud of all of these traditions. And it was like the so the end sheet was like a big bunch of traditions and it like carried throughout the whole book. And I just get really cool. excited about like themes that carry throughout the whole book. Like I'm a huge fan of John um, Mark Homer's books because they have such great themes that carry on throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, like his book, My Name is Hope, has like all of these different chemical compounds that play on throughout the book. Cause he's talking about like different, you know, medicines that people mm -hmm. take for different, you know, prescriptions and whatnot. And it plays on throughout that too. So I just, this is a total nerd conversation, but I, I, loved, the, <laughs> I loved the the cover and the design of this. As soon as I got yeah. it, I texted, I texted Janae and I was like, this is one of the coolest book covers I've ever seen. Oh so, man. I love it. Um, 
So what have you what have you been doing now that um, you know I've talked to a lot of guests about this, but you know with with COVID nineteen happening and we can't really go anywhere. Um, you know what has your life been like? How has your life changed? Well, I feel kind of like I've just started quarantining, even though I haven't, because I was really sick for the first few weeks. I'm convinced I had COVID-19. Um, I got tested for it and my test was negative, but like I had pneumonia, like I had all the symptoms. It was awful. So, you know, when you're sick, you don't want to go anywhere anyway. So I was so sick for so long that I just feel like maybe this week is when I'm like, oh, wow, we can't go anywhere, <laughs> you know, because I was not, yeah, I was in quarantine for so long. Um, yeah. And also like, it's been a weird year fear wise for me too, because I had my thyroid taken out last year. And so I've had now I'm getting off on another tangent, but I've had all these health things that I, I used to be just like health was not even in my brain at all. It was just, yeah, I was healthy. Nothing was wrong. And so, yeah, that's been a whole, a big part of my life since November has been like going to doctors because of this weird thing and adjusting my medicine for this weird thing. Cause now I live off of thyroid medicine. So it's weird. Um, so it's honestly, it hasn't changed a ton because my, I homeschool my three daughters um, but we are like out and about all the time. I was traveling, speaking and, and my husband works, you know, a regular job. So he's usually gone all day and the weekends are the time that we really get to be with him. Um, but so it's been really sweet to be all together and not be rushing around. Cause I tend to like get really busy and get lots of stuff on the calendar and we're always rushing one place or another. And also we live on some land. Um, my husband had this like farm dream. He grew up kind of a country boy and I'm the opposite, but we actually were selling our house because we were trying to get back closer to Nashville before the whole COVID thing happened. So like we had tried raising chickens and having a garden. And it was one of those things where it was like, our lives are too busy to do this farm thing. And I'm not really that type of person anyway. Yeah. My husband's <laughs> too busy. So we were going to move, but then this happened. And so it was like, well, we're here. We're not selling the house right now. Do we want to sell the house anymore? I don't know. It's like, life has changed so much that we got chickens again. <laughs> so you asked what I'm doing. We are raising chickens and ducks again, <laughs> All right. um, homeschooling, you know, drive through takeout. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, reading, I probably read more, but also like we're like, my husband is busier with work, but he's able to do it from home. And I've been ramp. I have more projects going on. So having to juggle, you know, I used to be able to like drop my kids off at my mom's and go work for a few hours. And now it's like, I, I don't know if I said this before we started recording or after, I think it was before, but like we have an office, but my husband is working in there now. So right now you're propped up on a Jack in the box and a pencil case. And I'm like on a step stool in my youngest <laughs> daughter's room. So it's definitely different. And it's definitely been a daily, like, okay, what's the suffering news today in the world? And also the people we love, like, you know, people losing jobs and just, it's just been, it's just been weird. I've been appreciating the funny memes, but I saw one yesterday that I was so, I so appreciated it because there've been so many funny, good ones that have like helped me take my mind off of the actual suffering. Um, but yesterday there was one that said something like, um, and it was a picture of Kanye. Have you seen this one yet? I don't think and so. it, was, it said something like, um, uh, laughing at COVID-19 memes. And then the first picture was Kanye doing us like a big smile. And it was like February. And then it was like late February and his smile was like a little smaller. And you know how he kind of has that, you know, how he has that kind of grimace smile and it kept getting smaller and smaller. And it was like last week. And then it was like kind of a grimace. And then it was like today. And he was just like full miserable. And I'm like, yep, that's kind of, that's kind of how it is now. So yeah, life is different, but um, yeah. very thankful for a lot. 
thankful for healthcare workers. My goodness. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. So do you, do you not live? I thought you lived in Nashville. You don't live in Nashville. Well, we live like south of Nashville, so okay. it's like an hour. Um, yeah, my husband works in Nashville. We do, our doctors are in Nashville. We're always in Nashville, but we we lived in Nashville and then we kind of went south to Franklin and then we were in Spring Hill for a little bit. And so we've just kind of migrated south and we are maybe going to go back north um, if this ever ends and Jesus doesn't come back first. <laughs> I don't know. We, we'll see. We love Nashville and thankfully we, we live in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is just like an hour north. And so yeah. we spend whenever before this happened, we usually spend at least one weekend in Nashville, not, not the whole weekend, but we usually drive down on a Saturday just to like get coffee and go shop yeah. and go to dinner. It's one of our favorite spots. So I'm oh, grateful yeah. that we're close, but it's so weird that like, I don't know when we're going to be able to go back and experience Nashville in the same I way. Know. I'm just curious what life is going to look like once this is all over. I mean, I'm a huge sports fan and I was mm -hmm. talking to people this week, like how willing are people going to be to go sit in a stadium with 80,000 people? I was just, yes, I was having that conversation too. Cause it's like, we all want life back, but like, I'm not going to be rushing out to be in a crowd as soon as they say go out, you know? It's yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause like, I love concerts. That's like one of the things that Emily and my wife and I, we do a lot. And we were supposed to see Lauren Daigle and it got canceled because of oh. the COVID-19. And I was like, man, so hmm. we, we love going to concerts and tell me concerts at Ryanman or somewhere in Nashville. And I just don't know when that's going to happen. And I'm so thankful for the musical artists that we like who are finding new ways to entertain their fans. Yeah. I mean, like big Drew Holcomb and Ellie Holcomb fans, and they're oh, doing yeah. all these concerts on Instagram and Ben Rector is doing the same thing. So I'm very grateful for all the creative people that are responding in a creative way to this because we're all kind of navigating it together. I, I was yeah. talking with uh, Tyler Huckabee last week. He writes for Relevant, and I was talking to him because he covers like culture and faith. And I was like, what are you doing now that there's not a whole lot of stuff going on <laughs> yeah. culture-wise? Like, like there's uh, some movies like are delaying their production and hmm. uh, their release date as well. Like it's just, it's such a weird time. It's yeah. just uh, such a weird, I, I don't know how to navigate it. So um, hmm. this question kind of goes along with that. But one of my questions that I always like to ask people at the end is the show is called In No Hurry. And so typically I would ask people, what do you do to create space in order to slow down? And mm -hmm. now um, the world's kind of done that for us. So <laughs> what, I guess you kind of hit on it a little bit, but like, what are, what are some of the ways that you, spend your time daily I guess you kind of touched on like you have chickens and all that kind of stuff but in terms of <laughs> things for fun and ways to relax what is kind of your go-to rhythm uh, I'm pretty boring um <laughs> yeah the thing I used to do would be like going to coffee shops writing that's been that was my hobby before I was you know doing it for work and so I would do that um I like going places so this has been a weird a weird thing but you know like restaurants I don't know. I'm honestly not much there. We watch, you know, funny shows. Stand okay, here's one thing we love. Um, me and my husband love watching stand-up, and it's hard to find stand-up that's not that's incredibly right. We offensive. haven't even talked about how your mom was on SNL. That oh, was yeah. I know. It's a weird thing. <laughs> it's a weird thing. And, you know, it's funny. You don't – you grow up, and you, like, are a product of your parents, but you don't really see it until you are old enough to be reflective about it. But I'm like, man, I spend a whole lot of time watching stand-up that probably has a lot to do with, with my upbringing, you know? Yeah. Um, but we have this friend named Bill, the kids call him Mr. Bill, and he comes over and we eat Mexican food and watch stand up. And, you know, we did that during the quarantine one night. Um, we tried to do it on Zoom, 
and it wasn't working very well <laughs> trying to we ended up just talking and eating the same food from our different houses but um yeah yeah that's all I really got got going on that's how I relax <laughs> so we didn't talk about this you, know, you don't have to spend a lot of time on it but I did want to ask what is when you think back to you, you said you kind of grew up in the green room of SNL you got to be around all those guys like Adam Sandler what is maybe one or two of the most memorable things uh from that time whenever your mom was on the show and you getting to be around those people <clears throat> okay let's see um well or a um, funny story or something yeah well the things that come to mind are so I like loved Adam Sandler and he was on just the last couple of years my mom was on and I did not I was not old enough to know how cool it was <laughs> that that I got to be there I was not starstruck if it had happened when I was a teenager or an adult I would have been so starstruck but um I just remember really liking him because he's very physical humor funny and I remember standing backstage and seeing him jump through like a fake glass window in his underwear <laughs> and I was just like huh and you know I'm like five and then I remember my grandma babysitting me later and sitting in her doll room she collects dolls and eating goldfish and watching him do that skit from the tv and then I ran up to the tv and kissed it and so like you know I have <laughs> memories like that where I was like oh I was there but it wasn't like you know as adults we have like a oh that's Hollywood like I didn't I was just like, oh, cool. There he is. Um, but my favorite story that I like to share is about John Lovitz. And I was going to put it in the book. And I even got his permission. And I didn't. And I kind of wish I would have. I didn't want to share a cool SNL story that did not have any purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of wish I would have, though, because it's a cool story. But um, he, so he was my favorite. Um, you know John Lovitz, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. He was my favorite. And he was like, I don't know. I think he was the closest to our family. Like, he'd be at our house. He'd come to my birthday parties. He had a nickname for me. So I had this cat named Flippy. We named him Flippy because he would like do flips over the kitchen bar stools. And so he would come over and he would look at me and he'd say, Hel he'd say, hello, Flippy. And that John Lovett's voice that I can't do. And I'd be like, I'm not Flippy. That's Flippy. And he'd call the cat Scarlet and he'd call me Flippy. So my name was Flippy. And that was like our little shtick that we had. And my mom got cast on SNL when I was six months old. So like zero to almost six is the time frame there. So he was one that we kept in touch with. And so when we would like go out to LA for pilot season, at, you know, we, we moved all over the place, kind of wound up planted in Miami because my mom reconnected with her high school sweetheart there. And he was a cop there. So we would just fly to LA for a few months at a time for her to audition for pilots for sitcoms. And we would go see him as I grew up. So I probably last time I had seen him was like when I was 16, but we were pretty close to him. And so um, then I like grew up pretty regular person like you know I just I homeschool my kids and there's no kind of like Hollywood glamour that infiltrates my life ever and it's been years and years and years years of that and so um, when I was pregnant with my second daughter Brooklyn she's the youngest because we adopted Joy but when I was pregnant with her like five years ago he was doing stand-up at Zany's here in Nashville and my mom was like Scarlett let's go see John you know so we went to see him and then we went backstage and I mean hadn't seen him since I was 16 and I'm a pregnant like 28 year old and at that point and we walk in and he looks at me and he goes hello flippy <laughs> and I was like this is just it just made my brain explode and at this point I am starstruck you know and he was so nice and we got a picture of him and I think I put it on Facebook I can send this to you um but he um we got a picture of him like holding my I was like nine months pregnant my stomach and I put that next to a picture of him holding me when I was a baby, when he was 28. So like, how cool and weird is that? You know, full yeah. circle. So that's my favorite story. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I, 
I've always wanted to be able to go and see SNL in person. I've, I've always been a big fan. And obviously, I was a huge Adam Sandler fan. Still am. Um, yeah. And that, man, the 90s SNL was oh, awesome. There were so many good, there were so many good people on. And it's still good now, but it's like, when I go back and watch some of those skits from the 90s, I mean, like, Adam Sandler and Dana Carvey and Chris Farley yep. and Mike Myers. Oh, man, it's like Will Ferrell and all the, it's just. I know. It's, Dana Carvey it's is so awesome. funny all the time. That's another thing I remember that he was always funny. Like one of yeah. those people that your stomach hurt. He was just always funny. Will Ferrell was after our time there. So I've never yeah. forgot to meet him, but I'm a huge Will Ferrell fan. <laughs> I got to go to uh, Second City in Chicago a few years ago, which is where a lot oh. of SNL people kind of got their start. So it was kind of yeah. cool to see like that aspect of it. Stand up comedy is just something that like I, I could never do. And it seems like it'd be. Like, I, I don't know. There's a whole art to it that, like, you've got to – I've learned a lot because – are you familiar with, with Trey Kennedy? He's kind of a Christian yes. comedian. Yeah. So, um, so the guy that shoots all of his videos, his name is Jake mm-hmm. Triplett, and Jake and I are, are kind of friends. Uh, he was, he's been on this podcast, and we've talked quite a bit. And he and Trey uh, went on tour, and this was actually mm-hmm. one of the shows that we got to see right before. Like, so we saw them – on that Wednesday night when everything started canceling, like the NBA and Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. we saw them in Louisville that night. And, and like, we got to go to dinner with Jake after the show. And I was like, dude, everything's about to get canceled. And so <laughs> I was talking to him though. I was like, this, he was very, very new to stand up comedy. And that was like part of his bit was like, ah, this is the first time you stand up comedy. Some of you guys are probably saying, yeah, I can tell. And it was like, he was pretty funny. And I was like, man, like he's talked a lot on his own podcast about like how hard it is to come up with jokes and how mm. he goes to different comedy clubs to workshop them and just to see what mm. gets laughs. And it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's cool. Like I've only been to like that show. And then I saw Jerry Seinfeld like six oh, years ago, which was really awesome. That was amazing. Yeah. Wow. That was a treat. So those mm. are the only stand up shows that I've been to. Um, other than I guess the improv stuff at Second City, so I'll have to check some stand-up comedy out too. So here are my my real quick. I know we're wrapping up. My recommendations for Netflix because we're all stuck at home. Nate Bargatze, Sebastian Maniscalco. Um, yeah, look them up. Those are my two favorites right now. Speaking Jim Gaffigan, of, of course. Speaking of Netflix, have you seen Tiger King yet? Did you watch that yet? I have started it. What in the world? Yeah, I just when I started watching it, I just started texting random quotes to my family. Like I don't even know what to do with this. Yeah, I don't know. I've only watched like one episode, so I don't know. It gets crazy. And okay, that's I, what I hear. I it's not. I guess it it is something that I would usually watch. I guess because I have an affinity for those weird type stories. Like I was a big fan of the S Town podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to that one. Uh, but any of those like stories that are just like they focus on really bizarre subcultures. <laughs> I'm like, this is just yeah. really fascinating. So that's kind of mm-hmm. been my wife and I've been watching that and uh, we've been watching New Girl, which is I know is an old show, but yeah. Uh, trying not to trying not to watch too much T V during this quarantine stuff. But you know yeah. you can only, you can only do so much reading and podcast listening too. <laughs> writing and all that kind of stuff so yeah we've been running and biking and watching netflix stuff that's kind of been our quarantine so far very cool well scarlet thank you for joining the show this is awesome so glad i got the chance to talk to you and got a chance to read this book and just very thankful for the words in this book and i think it's so timely for what we're experiencing right now thank you so much i loved talking to you cole and good luck with your book i'm excited to read it someday Well, that was so fun. I really enjoyed talking to Scarlett about her book and so much more. 
Guys, I cannot recommend this book enough. And in fact, if you want to read my review on this book, I'll have a link in the show notes. I have something up on my website where I've reviewed this book and gave some thoughts on it. And I just really enjoyed it because the topic of fear is one that can be really sensitive and it can be one that people just don't want to deal with. But I just love how Scarlett approached it through sort of a comedic lens, a humorous lens. And it's obviously a very serious topic, but I just love the way that she approached it in this book. It's a very conversational book, and I think it's just a very approachable read. But if you want more of Scarlett, she actually hosts a podcast of her own called The Table of Malcontents, where she and a few of her friends talk about books and other topics. And so I will put links to that in the show notes as well as links to her own social media. So give her a follow. Let her know that you enjoyed hearing her on this show. Also, if you have not subscribed to my email list yet, the first one went out today. And so I don't want you guys to miss out on the weekly newsletters. I will have different book deals in there sometimes from authors that I've had on this show. And I'll have some updates on the book that I'm writing as well as a weekly devotional and just a lot of other stuff that you won't get otherwise. So make sure that you're subscribing. There's a link on my website. If you just go to coleclaiborne.com, click on newsletter, that will take you to the sign up page. If you need me at all, I'm Cole Claiborne on pretty much any social media platform. I would love to connect with you guys. If you are a regular listener and have never reached out to me, I would love to know who you are. There's a lot of times I know that people listen to these episodes and I don't always know who the people are. And I would love to hear what you thought of the episodes. If you've got any guest suggestions or just any thoughts at all, I'd love to hear from you guys. You can also leave your thoughts on Apple Podcast Reviews. I would love for you to leave a five-star review and let me know what you've enjoyed about the show so far. That really helps, lets people know that this is a show that they might be interested in as well. But thanks again for tuning in this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And just another reminder that on Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time and 7.30 p.m. Central Time, I'm going to be live with Ryan Allwart on Facebook. And we're just going to be having some fun. He's going to be playing some music, taking some song requests, and we'll have some conversation in between. So definitely tune in for that. I would love to see you guys there as well. But I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And hope to catch you back on Thursday.